0: Hey, uh, real quick, um, we originally weren't going to be able to have any Sunday school for our preschool through fifth grade. Robbie and Julianne took it upon themselves to go down there uh, and put on a class for anyone uh, whose kids need to head down there. So you can feel free if your kids need to head down there, um, feel free to go do it now. I will not be offended, but we do have something available for kiddos preschool through fifth grade downstairs happening during this service. So if you have a Bible, you can open it to First Thessalonians chapter two. We are continuing our series on our DNA or our core values, asking the questions who is Hillside? What are we about? What's our mission? And how are we pursuing the mission God has given us? So our mission, as it says up here, is to make disciples of Jesus who reach vermilion and the world. And certainly that can feel a bit ambiguous to make disciples who reach Vermilion and the world. And what I've found is when things feel ambiguous, uh, it's hard. We just aren't intentional, or maybe we go all in different directions. And maybe, uh, so it's important for us just to take a few weeks to say, hey, this is what we're about, this is how we're doing this, and if you're new with us, this is what you're getting yourself into, okay? And so, uh, can anyone repeat our core values that we learned last week? Anybody? Brave enough to give it, take a stab at it? Molly? No. Life with God, okay, that's the first one. The second one? Life with others? Did I hear it? Life on mission. Yeah, good job. So life with God, we want to know and love God through his word, worship, and prayer. And then life with others, which we will focus on today, we want to live life together in gospel community. Then lastly, we'll touch on this next week, life on mission. We want to live and proclaim the gospel in all of life, in all places. And so today, as we hone in on the second one, Life with Others, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1 through 12. Paul writes this, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition." For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God, who examines our hearts. Verse 5 For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. Verse 8, and this is what we will focus in on today. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Verse 9 For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We preach God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The ache of the human heart is to be known, to be seen, to be cared, to be loved for. Jenny Allen, in her book, Find Your People, gives several examples of when we experience that ache. One, when you don't know who to, pick, who to call to pick you up from the airport. That one always stings a little bit. Uh, when you have something to celebrate or to grieve, but no one to do that with. When you have an idea to brainstorm that you're really excited about but can't think of anyone who would care enough to dream with you. Or when you are looking at a weekend with no plans, but unless you initiate or do something alone, you won't have anything to do. Or even just simply, you need to talk about something that's going on in your life, but you don't even know who to call. Or this one hits a little closer to home for me. You really want to watch the Gophers-Huskers game, and you know your best buddy Robbie is already watching it, and uh, you give out all the hints like that you want to watch. You know, hey, my grandpa played yeah, for the Gophers. I'm looking forward to watching the game. But despite all the hints, you still can't pull the invite. You know, it stings, uh, stings a little bit. <laughs> stings more for him because the Gophers won. But. In all seriousness, uh, how many of us have experienced the phenomenon of being surrounded by people yet feeling alone? And it's not that we don't have people around us, it's that the people that are around us don't actually know us, don't actually know the depth of our being, both good and bad. And maybe it's possible some of us feel that right now, like here we are at church, surrounded by people. But yet you feel, nobody really knows what I'm going through. Nobody understands the things that I'm struggling with. And so despite being surrounded by people sitting next to people in your rows, you still feel somewhat alone. Studies are showing that right now, more than three out of five Americans report being chronically lonely. And that number is, quote, on the rise. So not just lonely, but chronically lonely, three out of five Americans, where scientists now are even warning that chronic loneliness can be worse for our physical health than obesity or smoking or lack of access to health care or even physical activity. So not only does it have an effect on our emotional and spiritual lives, we're seeing it has an effect on our physical lives as well, because we were never meant to live this way. The Christian life is not just me and God. It's not just just me and Jesus. The problem with the idea of the Christian life being just me and God, the problem is with God himself. Because God himself exists in a community. In Genesis, it says, Let us make man in our own image. It's not just God the Father. It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We see it on the opening pages of Scripture. Or if you think of uh, Jesus' prayer in John 17, we get an insight into the relationship of the Trinity. It says, Father, Jesus is praying, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. God the Father was in a loving relationship or a loving community before any of this was created. And It was out of that overflow that he created. So God quite literally is a God of community. So to want to know God but not want community is in some ways a contradiction of terms. Because my point is we are made in the image of a God who is of community. It is written into our DNA. We are wired for deep relationship If you're still not convinced, let's continue looking at the Genesis account. So in the Garden of Eden, God created mankind. And then in chapter 2, 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Okay, most of us have heard this before. So what? What's the point? Dude needed a wife. Okay, my point is this. This was before the fall. This was before sin had entered the world and fractured our relationships with others and with God. And so man, mankind was in perfect relationship with God. And yet, only having a vertical relationship with God did not negate the need for a horizontal relationship with others. Like this should blow our minds a little bit. Community is not some needy result of sin entering the world. It's not like training wheels for heaven. This is essential to the Christian life. This is by his design. All that to say, deep down, you want community. Deep down, you want to be known because you were created for it. You may have several layers Uh, In years of defense mechanisms to try to quench that desire or protect yourself. But below those protective layers is a heart that deeply longs to be known not just by God, but by others. And I am convinced that the modern church is missing out on the biblical offer of deep gospel community. Thankfully, Paul models a way for us to return to this original design of a life with others. So this passage in 1st Thessalonians, it's in the context of he's writing, and there are false prophets and false apostles coming into the churches. And so he's writing, you may have picked up on this in the, the paragraph, he's defending his conduct. He's defending him and Timothy and Silas's conduct. He's saying, hey, this is why we are trustworthy. This is why you can trust the gospel that we have proclaimed to you. Because he said, hey, we had opposition in coming to you. Tons of opposition, yet we chose to preach the gospel. We weren't trying to deceive you or flatter you with fancy speech. We weren't even a burden among you, even though we could have been. As Christ's apostles, we worked hard day and night to not be a burden. And then he says this in verse 8, and this is what we're going to spend our morning on. We cared so much For you, that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. He's saying, Hey, you saw our life. We had a shared life together. We didn't share only the gospel, but also our lives. You saw everything. Why? Because you had become dear to us. Often in the church, we try to separate the gospel from community, and I think that is a great mistake because the gospel and community go hand in hand. Even the proclamation of the gospel comes from a person. Like, think about it, even in your own lives, how did you become a Christian? We received the gospel from others, from somebody's lips. For most of us, maybe it came from a parent or a pastor or a friend or a church community or even somebody online, but it came from somebody. So even the gospel comes through a human, through a person, through a relationship. And so for Paul, the truth of the gospel is proven in gospel community. It's proven in a shared life together because the gospel and community go together Or to put another way, the gospel comes with a family. The Christian life cannot be fully realized apart from Christian community. They're inseparable. Gospel truth comes with gospel community. The truth of Jesus comes with the church of Jesus. It's not just me and Jesus. He invites you into a family. He's not just inviting you to a life with him, but a life with him and his family church. So the gospel comes with community attached. Paul, in Ephesians 2, he's speaking to Gentiles, so non-Jews, and he says this in verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So coming to Christ is coming into a household. It's coming into a family. The house isn't just you and Jesus. Imagine it this way. Uh, imagine I died. Tragic, I know. Hopefully a very hypothetical scenario. And some dirt bag swoops in on my wife. Hopefully a very hypothetical scenario. OK. But I have kids. We have three beautiful, lovely, crazy kids. And what if he was interested in her? Obviously, she wasn't interested in him. But imagine he was interested in her, but he didn't want anything to do with those three kids. It's like, oh, I want you, but I don't want the family that comes with you. It'd be like, get lost, bro. Get out of here, you dirtbag. Like, you, you misunderstood the option, But we often do the same thing when it comes to our Christian faith. Like some of us, we're cool with Jesus, but we're resistant to who or what comes with Jesus. Like we might even let Jesus get all up in our business, but don't let anybody else get that close. Like, man, handshake on a Sunday is about all I can do. But don't start asking about my life Don't start asking about my marriage. Don't stop asking about my sin. Don't start asking about my finances. And so we keep some safe distance. And we invite Jesus into our lives, but then we lock the door to the family that comes with him. And we need this family in order to properly grow and mature in our faith. Like we know this to be true of our literal families, the importance of family and parents, but it's also true of our spiritual development. We need a life with God, yes, Amen. But we also need the community of others to live it out in. Look at Acts two forty two. Says this: They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so, the apostles' teaching would be what we now have recorded in our New Testament in our Bibles. And so, not only did they devote themselves to the Bible, the teaching, the apostles' teaching, but also to the fellowship, to the, to the community. Not only to the gospel, but also to the gospel community. They didn't try to separate those things. We need both. And sometimes I think we, we believe or at least act like all we need is the one, like all we need is the Bible. But to say all you need is the Bible, ironically, isn't that biblical. And so we, don't need, we need to not separate the apostles' teaching from the fellowship and vice versa. We don't need to separate the fellowship from the apostles' teaching. They go together. You need both to be a holistic, obedient, thriving, joyful disciple of Jesus Christ. Lone Ranger Christianity is not biblical Christianity. Some of us were really good at Bible study, but we're really bad at Bible living, where we can study the Bible and then somehow come to the conclusion that life with others is optional or unimportant? You cannot obey the Scriptures if you aren't in a relationship. How are you going to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't even know your neighbor? How are you going to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, as 1 Peter 4 says, by yourself? Like, how are you going to live that out? You're like, a dog sat once. Dogs don't count. We're talking about people. How are you going to live out the 59 one-anothers of the New Testament by yourself? You can't. It's impossible. So you cannot live out the Christian life as a lone ranger Christian. We need the truth of Scripture to renew our minds and the gospel, but we also need spiritual families to help nurture us in that gospel and to model the Christian life for us. You know, so much of parenting is modeling. Any of you parents out there realize this? Like, my kids pick up on everything I do. I don't have to say anything about it. They just do it. I don't teach them to do it. They just see me do it, and they, it's, I model it for them, both good and bad. Or they learn from their siblings. You know, Emmett's favorite thing to say right now is poopy butt. You know, he's our two-year-old. And guess where he learned that? Yeah, his mom. And, I mean, his brother. My point is that we are more influenced by others than we like to often admit. We like to think we are unique, autonomous individuals, but yet we end up doing what everyone else does, depending on the community that we're in. I mean, think about this. Did like, the government just give every woman between 10 and like 50 a Stanley water bottle in the last year? I mean, was it like part of your tax return? Like, oh, you're a Caucasian woman in your 30s. Like, here's this Stanley water bottle for you. You don't get money, but here you go. No, but <laughs> trends spread. We see someone with one, and we're influenced by that. Like, even marketing does this. Like, look at that, just a perfect summer day. Oh, you're going to be happy and hydrated. You know, like, what's better than that? But look what they're marketing. Community. They're marketing community. We are greatly influenced by the communities we find ourselves in, both good or, in that case, bad. Just kidding. They're great. They're probably well worth their money, I'm sure. The good or the bad, though, will depend on the community you are in. Because you are in some sort of community with someone. Even if you don't spend time with others, you have a cell phone that's constantly trying to influence you, the community you're a part of, they influence you, whether that's your friend group, your family of origin, your, maybe it's the city of Vermilion as a whole, maybe it's USD, your workplace, or just your social feed that you scroll through. And we may not even realize how much we are being influenced or rather discipled by those communities, but everyone has an agenda for your life. Your social media feed has an agenda for your life. So the question is not, is a community influencing you? But what community is influencing you? So we need just not, not just any community, but a community that is centered around the gospel, centered around the teaching and lives of Jesus, that can help, or- help us orient our whole life in being around that truth. And this is our only hope to withstand the constant 24-7 pull of our world, of, of culture. We need a family who can remind us of our identity in Christ, who can call us out on our actions when our actions are out of step with the gospel, people who we can confess our sins to, as James says, and pray for one another, people who can encourage us in our faith. In verses 11 and 12 in 1 Thessalonians 2, he writes, As you know, like a father with his own children, there's that family language. We encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You need that. Otherwise, we have no hope. Like Good luck remaining a biblical Christian in this political and uh, cultural climate by yourself. You can't. The pole is too strong. There was a story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a uh, German pastor during uh, in Nazi Germany, and he started an sort of underground seminary to train pastors. and It was like this really tight knit community. Actually, his book Life Together came out of that. And so his family, you know, rightfully so, thought he was kind of crazy, and so they came to visit him to try to, I think, talk him out of doing what he was doing, basically. And uh, so he takes them, story goes, he takes them in a boat and rows them across the lake to where they could see a Nazi training camp. And the quote that he says is this. This, pointing to the Christian community, must be stronger than that. This community and discipleship has to be stronger than the pressure of that culture. Because you can't do it alone. You were never meant to do it alone. Alone. This needs to be stronger than that. We need to commit ourselves to a gospel community and let that community be a form of resistance against the constant crashing waves of the world. So if community is so important, why do we often resist this offer and this invitation to a life together? I'm sure there's several reasons you could come up with one. We, we don't prioritize it or... So They just become a slave to our calendars. They become just so full with often really, really good things. But it's just not a priority to us. But deeper down than that, I think there's a couple reasons we have this sort of resistance to being known and loved in gospel community. One, I think we just have a hard time trusting people. We have a hard time trusting people. We think, I don't want to move close to them because what if I get hurt or what if they let me down or what if they don't accept me? But when you think about it, you don't join a community because you trust somebody already. You join a community, and trust is built over time in that community, little by little, follow-through by follow-through. And Paul is saying, that's what he's arguing in this. He's saying, hey, you can trust me because you've seen my life, because I've let you into my life. We've shared life together. We didn't seek glory from you or use you. We weren't a burden to you. You saw our life. Verse 10, he says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. Paul saying, hey, you can trust me because we shared our lives with you. You saw it all. Our life together has proven our trustworthiness, and now you have become dear to us. So to constantly be running from community because we don't already trust that community is actually to misunderstand how community works. Community is the proving grounds for trust, according to Paul. So problem one, we have a hard time trusting people and opening ourselves up to them. Secondly, and related, I think we don't trust people, that, that if we're actually real with them, like we let our, take our Christianese mask off, let our walls done, down, we are worried that if we're real, we will be rejected by them rather than accepted. Like we think, hey, if I'm fully honest with these people about the things that are going on in my life, there's no way they will accept me. So we keep some walls up. Maybe we even join a community, but we never actually let ourselves be known. Because we don't trust that we will be shown grace and accepted. We We don't trust that we will be shown the gospel in our actual daily life. And possibly maybe we won't. But to be afraid others are going to find out you're a sinner is to forget how this whole thing started. To forget how you got in here in the first place. So being a sinner is the prerequisite to being a Christian. You can't accept a gospel that you don't think you need. So what are we really afraid of? I mean, it'd be like going to Alcoholics Anonymous, worried they're going to find out you're an alcoholic. Like, it doesn't actually make all that much sense. Being a sinner is the common bond that brings us together with other Christians. We are sinners made saints. But first, we need to recognize that deep down, we are spiritually bankrupt. That was your entry pass into the kingdom of God. Like the tax collector in Luke 18, he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is what we all have in common. What if they think I'm a sinner? You are, but so are they. Like, did you forget how this whole thing started? And as we live the Christian life more and more, oftentimes we we feel like we kind of graduate from the gospel. Like, yes, we should be growing in our faith more and more, not perfectly linear, you know, up and down and up and down, but we should be trending in the right direction. But guess what? As you grow more and more in your faith, you are going to recognize your sinfulness more and more as God purges it out of you. You know, it might be years later and you recognize something that you've been struggling with that five, ten years ago you didn't even realize you had. Because as God is changing us, sanctifying us, we become more and more aware of our brokenness. So more and more in the Christian life, you need the gospel of grace. It's not just how you start your faith. It's the totality of our faith. It's everything. And you need a community around you who can remind you of that gospel and imprint it on your life and remind you of your identity in Christ. Bonhoeffer, in that book, Life Together, said this, Our brother has been given me that even here and now I may be certain through him of the reality of God in his judgment and in his grace. As the open confession of my sins to a brother ensures me against self-deception, so too the assurance of forgiveness becomes fully certain to me only when it is spoken by a brother in the name of God. He's saying, in community, they get to apply the gospel to your life. Your spiritual brothers or sisters get to apply that forgiveness, speak that gospel into your life. So to resist community because we are worried about being found out to be a sinner is to forget the prerequisite of the gospel and gospel and gospel community. Being a sinner is exactly that. That was the prerequisite. And it's only in the reality of our sinfulness that we can be brought together around the grace of God towards us. Because none of us earned it. The gospel puts us all on a level playing field. We're all sinners saved by the mercy and grace of God. In the language of Paul, he says, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. It is God's gift. You didn't earn it. So how do we live this out? How can we move towards gospel community? At some point, we have to take the plunge into letting ourselves be known. We have to be willing to let ourselves be inconvenienced by a commitment to community. We can't you know, be flaky and last minute text. Oh, hey, I'm not going to make it. We need to let ourselves be inconvenienced by it. Because it's not easy. But at Hillside, the way we are pursuing life together is through our group ministries through our community groups, through our Bible study fellowship, through our men's Bible studies. So maybe that's the next step for some of us, to sign up for a group, grab one of the cards near you for community groups, scan the QR code, fill it out, and join a community. Or join one of our men's studies or women's studies. But you have to do something. You have to do something. And these aren't just church programs for the sake of church programs, these are opportunities for you to be known, for you to grow in the grace and gospel of Jesus. Or maybe for some of us, we're already in a community, and the next step for us is to finally let our guard down, to finally take the Christianese mask off and let ourselves actually be known, to actually take the brave step of being vulnerable. Maybe that's the next step for some of us, but don't romanticize community. I don't want to paint a romanticized picture in your mind. It is hard work, and it takes time, and it can be clunky, and yes, it can be inconvenient. But Bonhoeffer said this as well, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. Last week, um, we had a leader's training for our community groups, and I had asked Molly and Ryan Mullenkamp, who are sitting up here, many of you know, uh, to just kind of share about their experience leading a community group, and I'm thinking, you know, give them the secret sauce of how you guys have done such a good job fostering gospel community, and so we end with a time of Q&A with them, and they just share about their experience, and Molly says something like, we're like, how did you foster community so well in your group, and she says, We just really love every person in our group. We find joy in the people in our group. We feel lucky to even be a part of that group. That's what Paul is talking about, to be pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. That is what it looks like to live that out. And no, you can't join the Camps group. Their group is already overflowing with people because of that. Worship team, you can come back up. But if you are trying to do the Lone Ranger Christianity, I promise you there is a life possible out there of so much greater joy than you realize. Maybe the Christian life feels a little stale to you. Well, maybe that is why. Because you were wired for community and your faith depends on it. Please don't write off the need for community as like, oh, that's just for those extroverts. No matter your temperament, community is written on your heart because you are made in the image of a relational God. You were not just meant to be known and loved by God, but also to be known and loved by his church, by this community. And we will never experience the fullness of the gospel until we experience the fullness of gospel community. And we will never experience the fullness of community until we experience the fullness of the gospel. Do not try to separate those two. Those go hand in hand. Would you pray with me, and then we're going to take communion. Father, we thank you that you are a God of community, that you are a relational God. God, that you exist in a holy Trinitarian community that we even struggle to understand. And not only that, but you loved us enough to want to be relational with us. God, that you sent your son to die so that we could be a part of that loving community centered around the gospel. Just pray for us this morning. God, wherever people are at in their walk with you, Father, that you would invite us into community, that you would lead us into community, that you would help those of us who are already in some form of relationship to let our guards down and to let ourselves be known so that our brothers and sisters can apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to our hearts. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Well, it's the first Sunday of the month, and every first Sunday we like to take community together as a Community, So there should be one of these uh, in front of you or on your seat. And uh, the top layer is the bread. You can pull that um, top layer back. But Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 11, 23. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me, Let's take the bread together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we take this in remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice for us, we are not only looking back in remembrance of that, but also looking back, anticipating his return to bring us home. Let's take the cup together. Would you guys stand with us in worship?